Thanks for listening to the 242 Young Adults Podcast with Pastor Justin Corkum. Our prayer is that this message will be an encouragement to your life in Christ. For those who maybe this is your first week here, um, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We're basically starting in chapter one, where we see that Nehemiah had a burden for his people. The walls of Jerusalem, um, he finds out, are they've been destroyed. Um, sorry, they've been destroyed. The city's been burnt. Like it's in shambles. Um, we see that the people, his people, are greatly troubled. They're disgraced. They're, they're, they don't know what to do. Because what did a wall mean? And we just been talking about this. A wall meant protection. There was safety. And when you think, if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. In biblical times, they would literally build these giant fortified walls of stone that would protect a city from any kind of attack or siege. And so there was there was not just protection, but status. And this was destroyed. And so we haven't gotten really far. We've kind of been etching through this. But tonight, I'm going to get through verses 4 to 11. And um, why don't we read that now, and then we're going to go into it. So let's start from the first verse, just for everybody. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Halkaliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit, uh, visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about things that were going on in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And this is where we're picking up. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. And so I probably read verses 4 to 11 probably about a dozen times before tonight. And as I would read, I kept, I kept 
seeing new things come out. I kept seeing just things pop out at me that I had never really realized before. And so before we really get into the main chunk, because the main portion of this passage is really the prayer, what he prays. But before we do that, I want to talk to about how he was so burdened for this situation and for his people that he mourned, fasted, and prayed for days. That's something that often we could just overlook and be like, all right, he was sad. But he was more than just sad. When people mourned in that time, they would tear their clothes. They would sit low to the ground. In fact, even today, when um, when a Jewish person, die, a family member dies, they sit shiva for seven days. And they sit on low stools because it's uncomfortable. There's And they, they do certain things. For Nehemiah, he probably shaved his head. He probably put ashes on himself. It, it was a sign that he was mourning, that there was something that was burdening his heart he took time to fast and pray and the bible doesn't even talk about how long he fasted and prayed people would typically mourn for seven days but this wasn't a death of a family member this was his people this was his city and so what happened was he is mourning he's taking time to seek the lord to cry out to him and it made me think he had such a deep hurt for this situation. Have we ever been so burdened for something within our church context? And I'm not talking about like family because I think sometimes when it's family, you'll be burdened like that, right? It doesn't take much. Your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad. But what about when it's somebody who isn't your family member? Who is just your brother and sister in, in, in the Lord? So he, he literally takes this time for these people. And I thought, wow, I don't know that I've ever mourned over something like he has. Has my heart ever been broken for something to that extent? And made me think of that song. Um, and maybe some of you know, you know, Hosanna, where she's like, break my heart for what breaks yours. And it was like his heart was broken. I think sometimes we could be very quick to criticize we could be quick to say, you know what? This happened because of this. They probably deserved it. You know what? It probably fell apart because of X, Y, and Z. And we could be great analysts. We could like go into something and we could dissect it and we could come up with reasons why it didn't succeed. But his reaction wasn't to say, you know what? Well, his people were wicked. They just left the Lord. What do you expect? It says that he would have exiled. He didn't do that. He didn't blame the people. He didn't criticize them. He didn't point a finger at them. He mourned. He mourned and fasted and prayed. And I fully believe, I fully believe with all of my heart, as I read this and I studied it and I studied it and I studied it, I believe that it's in this time 
that the Lord showed him what he had to do for the city of Jerusalem. And I'll tell you why, and we'll get there. But, um, and we'll talk more about it. But I feel as though this was when God deposited in his heart. And so we see in verse 5, and this is kind of where my points come out of, if you want to say. Um, but we're going to pick up again, and we're going to talk a little bit more about prayer and fasting in, um, at the end. But in verse 5, it says, then I said, and so we have to take notice because sometimes we could gloss over things and be like, oh, all right, well, whatever. But it says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. Then I said, there's a break. And then he says, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. The first thing he does when he prays is he reveres the Lord. He gives honor where honor is due. And we've talked about this. I know the women, we've talked about this before, um, about how to pray. But there are a lot of people who don't do this. They jump right in. God, this is what I need. This is what you need to do for me. This is what I want to see and get it done. But they never, they never go to him and like acknowledge who he is. And Nehemiah, he says, you're the almighty one, God of heaven, the great and awesome one, faithful one, full of love. And just not long ago, we, um, the women, we did um, a study on, sorry, on Psalm 23, where, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And before you can even get into what the shepherd is, who the shepherd is, just if you stop at Lord, which he does, oh, Lord, you have to understand that he is the uncreated existence. He's the one who has always existed, the one who has always been, the superior one over everything, the one who has absolute control, the one who has all power and authority, the one who delivers us, who redeems us, who sustains us, who created us. He's the one who keeps his covenant, the faithful one. He's transcendent, imminent, imminent. He's infinite. He's sovereign. And yet he's personal and friendly. That's, that's when, when every time you hear somebody saying, Oh, Lord, your mind should start, even for us as we pray, Heavenly Father, just that. There is a scroll full of words and attributes that you could say about him in, in ways to honor him. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you, you are not a man, that you, when you speak, you say things and they will come to be. God, that you have always been, that the power of your words can create things that we would never have imagined. Father, you could go on and on. And if you don't know how to pray and you don't know how to revere the Lord and honor him, go to the Bible. There are plenty of things. 
do it almost like a homework assignment and be like, all right, let me see. Let me find all of these characteristics and, tr- and attributes of the Lord. That's who he's praying to. And then once he acknowledges, once he acknowledges who the Lord is, he repents. And you see that in verses 6 to 9. And what, and if we read it, it says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Actually, that's where we're going to stop. He doesn't put it on his people. And Father, your people are wicked people, so I ask that you would just like have favor on them, just be gracious to He doesn't blame them. He doesn't he includes himself and his family in this prayer of repentance. And again, you know, you have to think that Nehemiah was probably in captivity. He he I like and I I I'm when you're going from like, you know, BC up to AD, for some reason the math just doesn't compute with me. And I'm like, so is 335 bigger than, is it less than 550s? I don't know. So it's like I start getting very, you know, confused in my mind. Um, but it's possible that he wasn't even a part. He, the, 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 the nation of Israel had already been exiled. They had been in exile for 70 years. So I don't know how old Nehemiah was, and I couldn't really find it in commentaries. I'm sure I could have Googled it and I would have found it, but I didn't think to do that. So, but this wasn't even something that, you know, he potentially was a part of. You have to think, like, it would be like us And we had to do this in school, actually. When I took a missions and evangelism class, we read this book. And a part of it was you have to pray for, like, ask the Lord for forgiveness for your forefathers who who participated in slavery. And I was like, I'm Canadian. Uh, Like, what? Okay. It was so foreign to me. I was like, I'm okay. And it kind of was strange where I'm like, that's okay like this was years and years and years ago but as soon as I read this that's what I thought of Nehemiah didn't care that he was he may not have been a part of it but maybe his ancestors were maybe his ancestors had left the Lord they had walked away they walked in disobedience and you know what that doesn't matter the fact is, is that he, he saw it so important to confess before the Lord and ask for forgiveness for himself and for his family. You know, when we approach the Lord, we don't want to go to him with like guns blazing and just like, do this, do that. You're like, you're God. You've got power answer me we want to approach him with pure hands and a clean heart right or clean hands and a pure heart you got it 
clean hands and a pure heart. And so when we approach the Lord, after we honor him, we ask for forgiveness. Ask, ask him, God, if there is anything in me, show me. Because sometimes we may not think anything. You might go to the Lord and you're like, I don't know. But ask him. Ask him for forgiveness. Show me, God, things that you want to work in my heart. Things that maybe I didn't do right in your sight. Things that I could do better. He goes and he says he wants to be blameless in the sight of the Lord. And you know, as I was talking to Justin, he said, yeah. You know what? One thing that stands out to me is is it, it creates unity. Like, could you imagine if I was up here and I'm like, Lord, I'm holy. But all these people, they're not. Can you just forgive them? Not me, just them, because I didn't do anything. I watched, but I didn't do anything. Like, could you imagine next week if I was like, all right, I'll be preaching next week. You'd be like, deuces, I'm not coming back. Like, you know. It, it causes division. But instead, he said, no, I'm united with my people. I'm united with, with what's happening, with what the Lord is doing and what I know he promised. So I'm going to ask for forgiveness, myself included. I'm going to humble myself in the sight of the Lord because I know that this is greater than my pride. This is greater than anything that I could conjure in my mind. I want him to move, and that's just it. He understood that as as you build unity, you function as a group. And that's really important later on, right? It's important for for what's going to happen later when they've got to rebuild a wall. And if he's not unified with his people, it probably would have taken him a really long time to get what they accomplished in such a short time done. And that's just a fact. We work better as a team. And I'll encourage this all the time. Guys, as we grow, as we function as a young adults group, do not be islands unto yourselves. Reach out, have eyes that are opened. That, that see people, even if you don't know them, step out of your comfort zone. Make them feel as though they are a part, and I know this has nothing to do with prayer, but make them feel as though they're a part of a group, that, that we are united. Not just, you know, 242, we've got this group and that group and that group, and hey, but that, hey, we, we love each other. And, and I want the best for you and you and you and you and me. And like, because I know that we're a team. We function as a team. The next point is that he reminds the Lord of his promises and the covenant that he made with his people. And I love this because sometimes we can approach the, the Lord almost timidly. And you hear it, you hear it in how people pray, right? God, you know, if it's your will, but if it's not, then it's okay. But if you, but, but if you don't, and you're like, 
so do you, don't you, like, what? You know, you, you have to know that you can boldly approach the throne. That's biblical. Boldly approach the throne room of grace. Maybe the Lord has spoken something into your heart and you haven't seen it come to pass. Remind him. Remind him of his promises. You know, don't be arrogant about it. Don't be like, God, what the heck? You are supposed to do this and you're not. I can't even stand it. No, but Lord, I know what you spoke to me and I stand on your word. I am confident that what you spoke will come to pass because you are not a man that you should lie. Your word says that, that you are faithful, that God, when you give a promise and a covenant, you keep it. And so, Father, I rejoice that you spoke this over me. And I'll give you an example. Because what this does is it shows, I feel like it shows like a determination. That you're not just, you know what, God spoke it and now I'm just going to, Lord, if you want to give it to me, go ahead. That's not what it means. And I know we've spoken about this in before. But you know, like a lot of times people are like, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Are you doing anything? Nope, I'm just waiting on him. But waiting isn't passive. It's active. It's something. And I just listened to a message this week and I was like, yes, yes. You know, when you're, you're like, you read something and you're like, you're, you study and you're like, okay, this is the conclusion that I've come to. And then you're like, oh, everybody doesn't, you know, and then you hear someone and you're like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And that was it. And he said, and exactly that. Waiting isn't act passive. It's active. It's okay, Lord. I know you're moving, and even though I'm waiting on you, even though I want to see this come to be, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there with you. I'm moving in step with what you're doing. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to declare things over my life. And I'll give you an example um, with this pregnancy. And this was something that the Lord spoke to me two years ago. Um... I had this, I was just, I was just quiet before the Lord and um, I had just gotten up actually for a minute and I was like, I went to get something and I just all of a sudden, do you ever have those moments where you feel the Lord is like, you need to stop and listen? And that's exactly what it was. Stop and listen because I'm about to deposit a few things into your spirit and you need to be paying attention. And he started just speaking about pregnancy and, and like things to come with this pregnancy and future things. And one of the things was that it's going to be the best pregnancy you've ever had. It's going to be an easy one. Not that my other two were hard, but I, I figured it would just be different. And um, every time something comes up or I'm feeling a certain way I'm like God I thank you that this is going to be the best pregnancy I've ever had that father this is going to be easy and I had to have a blood test a sugar test um, a few weeks ago and it came back right on the line which I've never had before 
And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. They're like, well, if you don't do it, you're going to have to prick yourself four times a day to check your blood sugar until you actually go for the three hour glucose test and da, 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 da. And I was like, all right. And the first thing that happened was I kind of got nervous. And I was like, oh, I don't like, what? And then I remembered, no, God, I thank you that you said this is going to be the best pregnancy, the easiest pregnancy that I have. And pricking myself four times a day isn't easy. Like, I have sensitive hands, and I'd be bruised all over. And I'm like, that's not my idea of easy and smooth. And so for the next two weeks, I thanked him. I reminded him of what he spoke to me. I reminded him of his word. I got in the word. I literally was, I, I was like, no, this is not going to sway me. And when I went for my three-hour glucose test, my first result was normal, my second result was normal, and my third result, I was basically hypoglycemic. I was so low that I was like, okay, you know, and it was totally fine. And I got a call on Monday from my doctor saying, hey, yeah, totally normal, everything's great. And I was like, thank you, Lord. I, I knew it. I wasn't worried because I knew what he had promised me. And, you know, the thing, thing about knowing what he promised is that you have to know his word. Nehemiah knew the covenant that God had made with his people. And this is like hundreds and thousands of years ago. Like when you think about it, Nehemiah is at the end of exile and God spoke this to his people when they were delivered from Egypt. Like this is in like with Moses. This is in the book of Deuteronomy, the blessing and the curse. This is like, if you do this, then I will. But if you don't, then you will. And like you saw it throughout history. Nehemiah knew his word. He knew the Torah. He knew what he could bank, like, set his, his feet on. This wasn't just like, well, you know what, God? No, he actually, when he reminds him, he says, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Where was that? Jerusalem. It, that was where he, that, it was his city. So Nehemiah knew this. He knew that he could speak these things to the Lord. And the Lord would know exactly what he was talking about. Because the Lord gave them to Moses. Like, you have to think. But do we know our word? Can we stand on the promises of God and be like, God, I can stand confidently because I have read your word and I know what it says. He wasn't swayed. Well, Lord, you know, it, your word says that we might return, but you know what? If you don't, if you don't think this is a good idea, then don't worry about it. You know what? Whatever. I've got to, I'm, I'm okay. If they end up like that, I mean, you know, like he didn't do that. 
And sometimes we can do that with our prayers. We can be wishy-washy. But what does James say? That when you ask, you can't have any doubt in your heart. You're like a, a wave tossed to and fro and you'll get nothing. I don't want that. I don't want to be a wave tossed to and fro where I'm never going to get anything that I ask for. And sometimes people are like, yeah, but that's really extreme. Yeah, the Bible is. Like, I don't know, you know, and and I'd rather stand firm and not get swayed by anything. And you know what? It happens. It happens that things come up and you're like, God, are you here? And I feel like that's where faith comes in. Because that's where he's like, yeah, are you going to stand firm or are you going to crumble? And Nehemiah was like, no way. I know what you've said, and I'm going to do it. And that's just it. We need to know God's word. And you need to know it because you need to know what you can remind God of. If you don't know what his promises are, and again, this is something that we've studied before, but what, there's over 3,000 promises in the word of God. If you don't know them, then you have nothing to remind him of. If you don't know his voice, if you don't recognize his speaking to your heart, then how will you know when he's speaking? There's some people who are like, yeah, but you know what? So I don't hear from God. I've got his word. That's great. His word is like amazing and it's the best thing that we have. But there are going to be times where he speaks to you very specifically but your ear needs to be attentive to his voice. It needs to be attuned to his voice. If you don't know it, then he may have some things that he really wants to communicate, but you're just never listening. And and I, I thought that, you know, again, it's all about relationship, right? As we have a deeper relationship with the Lord, as we press in, as we really seek him, he will make himself known to us in ways that we cannot imagine. And so the last thing he does is he asks for favor from the king. And again, um, I think this is interesting because, you know, even going back, Nehemiah was in the king's palace. <laughs> like, he wasn't in the desolate places with some of the people he was living well he was the king's cupbearer and i love how he adds it it's almost like an afterthought after he prays in those days i was the king's cupbearer and you're like okay but being a cupbearer was huge he had to taste basically everything the king drank and eat everything the king ate like he was the tester to make sure that the king would not be endangered. And so this was a very trusting position. This was a position where, where they had relationship. That, that he was constantly in the presence of the king. And so when he asks for favor, you say, all right. And actually, later on, you see that you see that he approaches the king. And I was reading, excuse me, I was reading a commentary and it said that 
there was actually when like they usually had very good relationships and so he would have had a good relationship but he still says God give me favor give me favor with the king and this is where I draw my conclusion going back to the beginning is that if you notice in the prayer not once does he ask God what to do not once in this prayer does he say, God, show me how I'm to, to like accomplish this task. Show me how I'm supposed to do it. Show me who I'm supposed to have with me. Not once does he ask for anything. He honors the Lord. He repents. He reminds the Lord. And then he asks for favor for the king, from the king. And when he asks for favor, for me... That says that he already knew what he was going to be approaching him with. He knew that there was already, God had deposited that into my mind. And that's where I want to just park for just a few minutes um, and talk about prayer and fasting. Because I truly believe that it was during the time of prayer and fasting that the Lord gave him every single thing that he needed to accomplish this purpose in and this this mission in rebuilding the wall prayer and fasting is powerful and i am unashamedly going to be putting a plug in because in january we're going to do 3 weeks of prayer and fasting how many of you have been a part of it in the past Okay, so for a lot of you, it's new. So we've been doing this for five years now with the Young Adults Group, that we take three weeks to pray and fast. And a lot of times people are like, what does that involve? Well, it involves not eating. Um, we're pretty strict in a sense of staying away from certain foods. Um, as much as like Facebook fasts are really good and TV fasts are really good, there's something about when you fast food that gets God's attention in a different way. You know, Nehemiah, um, Daniel, Isaiah, they couldn't just shut off a TV and be like, hey Lord, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this for a few weeks. That's great. Do it in addition to fasting food. And we'll talk about what, how to do it. But I'm going to tell you right now that go in with it with excitement and anticipation. And I know that there's a lot of you guys, you're weightlifters, you're at the gym, you're active, girls you too, I don't know how many of you lift weights, but you're active and you're like, whoa, 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 what does this mean? It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just three weeks. Your muscle won't go anywhere. You'll rebuild it in a few. Like, once you start back up, it'll come back. No, come on, Cam. I'm going to be having a baby, so I don't have to fast. I'm just, I don't. But only if you're pregnant. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, you don't fast because you need the nourishment. But you could cut other things out, like all sugar. I'll be doing something. But, um... But fasting and prayer is really important. And I'll tell you why. It gets God's attention in a way that 
when you just, when you're just, you know, you could pray. I'm not knocking anything about praying because that's powerful and there's power in prayer. Um, and we should be doing it often, daily, corporately, we need to be doing it. But when you fast, when you abstain from food, it puts your attention on the Lord in a very different way. For two years, Justin and I now have been, he did it longer. I had to build up to it because I had had a baby and then another baby. And then I came off of nursing and I was like, okay. So, but he was like, we're doing a 21 day liquid fast. And I was like, okay. Um, the only perk was like, I lost 22 pounds and I was like, this is kind of nice. But, um, well, that wasn't the only perk. That was a physical perk. But can I tell you that like, while we did it, there were times where the first three days were hard and I was like, I don't know if I could keep going. But the more we prayed and the more we sought the Lord, there was something that stirred within us that it was like, I don't need food. Like, you know what? God's word, his presence is, is sustaining me. And we were drinking liquids, obviously. But there was something, and all of a sudden, God would begin to speak and move. He would begin to show us things. He would begin to, to just direct our step in ways that we had never thought possible. He began to show us what will happen for our year. And, and in those moments, and I'll encourage you, write things down. Have a journal, have your Bible, have a pen, and write things down as the Lord speaks because I can guarantee you that He is going to speak. And then you could stand and say, God, through the rest of the year, you know, you reminded me that this is going to be the best year we've ever had. And so, Father, I know that as we serve you, as we faithfully, diligently keep in step with you, as we stand behind you and move in line with what you're doing, we know that you are going to allow it to come to be. We know that this is going to be the best year because you said it to us. And all of a sudden, there's a confidence. There's like this holy zeal that rises up within you that you know what it's gonna happen and no one could convince you otherwise it's going to happen he took this time and and it was probably the best time even though he was mourning even though he was sad he got answers that, that we're going to get things done. He was a man on a mission. He wasn't looking to waste time. He wasn't looking to do, you know, to, you know, dilly dally. And let me see how long I could get out of work. And maybe I could get like, you know, I don't know what it's called here, but like, you know, when you get like, get injured or something. Yeah. Workers comp. And so in Canada, it's CCST, but I don't know what it stands for, but that's what it's called. But like, you know, it's like, it's not, he wasn't trying to get out of something. He was like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it quickly. And then I'm coming right back to what I need to do. He was diligent. And so as we close, 
You know, in these short verses, I feel like God just revealed so much. And again, I'm gonna encourage you that when you read God's word, go slow. Don't rush through just so you could get a check mark and be like, done. And I know there are some nights where I'm like, it's 11.55 and I don't wanna lose my streak, so I'm just gonna read it. And like, my eyes are like blurry, but I got some of the words. <laughs> you know, you know, like, don't just do it so you could hit something. But spend time, think about it. Meditate on God's word. Again, like just his prayer. We could look over that and be like, okay, so he prayed. That was a nice prayer. Great. But there's so much more to it. Sometimes we need to look through lenses differently. Sometimes we we just we're so focused on like the end result. And God's saying, hold on, slow down. Because in this, I want to teach you something. I want to show you something. I want to I lead you to something. And, and I, I fully believe that as we keep going, and as God continues to move in this group, I believe with all of my heart that this, this is something that's going to be integral to our group is taking time to pray and fast, taking time to seek the Lord, taking time to have sensitive hearts, to not look through a lens of my needs, but start looking with the eyes of Jesus and saying, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to speak to? Who can I encourage? Who can I talk with? Who can I share with? Who can I just be present for? And if we can't start here, I'll tell you something. You're never going to be able to do it outside. If you're always, if you're always just like me thinking, then you're going to miss a thousand opportunities as people walk by you. People who are broken, people who are hurting, people who just need to be loved and to be shown the love of Christ, to be, to be told about who Jesus is. Like, we have to, and, and that's the epitome of Nehemiah. He wasn't focused on himself. He could have been like, I live in a palace. I'm good. Like, I don't need to do anything. But he didn't. He didn't because he had a heart for people. A genuine heart for people. I thank God for his word. I thank him that it shows us what we need to do. It shows us our blind spots, right? And that's what that's that's okay. Sometimes we need to know what our blind spots are. But it leads us, it guides us, it encourages us, it shows us. I'm telling you, as we get into the rest of this book, there's gonna be so much more that is gonna be applicable to your lives. Because this isn't just about rebuilding a wall, even though this was, again, significant. This goes beyond because now it's for a time, such a, such a time as this. As we rebuild, as we fortify ourselves, as we gain strength, as we grow, God is going to use this word to bring about incredible things to this ministry to this church and we have said it time and time again 
But what God has showed us about this group is that this is going to be like the catalyst in a sense. That you guys are going to, you're, you're going to be like the ignition, right, to the flame. Ignite the flame, right, yeah, that's how you say it. Like, it, there's going to be something that comes from this group that will impact the church in a greater way.